Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined today by Benjamin Solak. You can follow Ben on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. And he is with the Draft Network. I wanted to talk quarterbacks this week. The last couple of weeks, I talked wide receivers and running backs, more from a fantasy perspective. This is going to be a quote-unquote real football uh, discussion here. But, of course, that translates a lot, especially now in the NFL with the focus on running quarterbacks to fantasy football. Uh, But before we start, Ben... I don't know if you saw a tweet here. I got to pull this up from um, a good friend of Eric Eager's at PFS, Sage Rosenfels, where he said there are maybe a couple thousand people in the world who know how to watch NFL film. So stop it with saying I watched the film if you're not one of those couple thousand people. So before we start, I think it's important for listeners to know what is your verified ranking on film watching and right. do you make the top 2000 cut? Because if not, we might as well just just get out of here and I get somebody else. If I do, it's somewhere in the 1900s. Uh, you know, <laughs> that that idea of, you know, there's there's X number of people who can watch film. Uh, it's kind of it's probably got some truth to it and got some falsehood to it. I think that you can understand film at a 201 level, understand football, I should say, at a 201 level, be able to watch film and generally come away with uh, clear ideas. And gen- and like those ideas, I think, will, will hold water, they'll hold truth. It, a great example this year is like people watch Justin Fields. Uh, they see him have a slower process in the pocket than other quarterbacks they've watched on film. He's more likely to just kind of stand there and look at his first read. And they say, well, he's a heavy first read thrower and he's not a great processor. It's like there, There's some truth to that. I think when you get into the nitty gritty of the Ohio state offense and understanding how fields is playing and what he's looking at, it's, it doesn't hold as much water. I think there's more nuance to it, but that is true. Like fields needs to speed up his process when he gets into the league. And so at that 201 level, you can still get, 30,000 foot view takeaways that are legitimate, that, that, that are, are descriptive and important and they matter and they're interesting. Uh, and for people who are creating content, right? Like me who are writing or doing videos or whatever, sometimes that's, that's all you need. Cause that's going to be interesting to the base fan. They don't want to get much further than that for sage as an ex NFL quarterback, that 201 level to him probably doesn't constitute watching film and knowing what you're looking at you know what i mean because he's going to go into it with with a lot more institutional knowledge going to go out with a a much more granular perspective of all right you know whenever they bring the box safety down and they're going to you know switch over to an under front it means that they're going to rotate single high and so i know this you know that's that 301 401 stuff that he's right like a lot of people uh, in the media won't have that knowledge and they won't have that that just intuitiveness over the years of watching films starting to know what to look for and the important things and so they won't get those secondary conclusions and you need some of those to do really good work hopefully every scout's got that you know what i mean because they're the ones putting skin in the game here um but in general i think more than two thousand people can watch film and, and tell us interesting things about football because of it yeah yeah i think so yeah she has some good follow-ups also here <laughs> there's knowing how to change a light bulb does not make you an electricity expert. Uh, you know, uh, not the greatest analogy there, but uh, we'll, right. we'll go with that. Um, we're going to get into how many people to change a light bulb soon. And then there's also a funnier one, a little bit further up. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I like Sage. I'm, I'm not like trying to trying to 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 down him here, but he has another one where he quote tweets himself saying San Francisco ain't drafted Mac Jones. Period. And then he's like, you know what? I watched the Mac Jones film. He looks pretty. Good. He looks pretty good. So, mm-hmm. so I think that's okay. This is my non-film guy take. I will say number one. I think most people who are doing this and are putting their work out there, um, 
They're, it's not like they're putting it out there and they're getting no feedback or they're in some sort of vacuum. Like, people are watching. People are kind of giving the thumbs up or thumbs down. There are tons of knowledgeable people out there. I think there's lots of great, great, great information out there. So gatekeeping a little bit seems a little bit weird. I'm not seeing a phenomenon of a bunch of people watching film and making conclusions who, li- who have, like, no idea what they're talking about. So that's, that's number one. But number two... And I wonder if this is what comes into it is like if I have a disagreement with you on the on the on the film side, maybe that's something you can go to kind of quickly is be like, well, you just you're 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 just not watching it correctly and I'm watching it correctly. But quite often I'm watching a lot of different film breakdowns, especially in the quarterback position. And I think people come away with pretty different opinions and I think they all have exactly. sound processes. So it goes beyond also just watching throws and then forming an opinion. You kind of have to know how you're going in and how you're synthesizing all that information. So that's what I want to talk to you about also, um, because when I'm watching some of these things, you're not seeing, at least you're not seeing very often, guys running the ball or how they're running the ball, how, how that's going to be a valuable contribution to the next level. You're not really seeing strategic scrambling also. If anything, that would probably be seen as a negative versus a same play that would get you the same amount of value uh, when you're throwing under pressure versus scrambling under pressure and things like that. So w- when you're putting together your your process for how you're going to actually compare these guys to each other and their level of success, how are you synthesizing all that you're that you're watching out there? Is there a formalized process or is it more intuitive as I feel like it is for a lot of these guys? Yeah. So for me personally, I have a, uh, you know, I've got nine traits that I grade. I grade them on a zero to 100 scale. Uh, so you're putting a number to something and sometimes that in and of itself is tough. Uh, and then I go through a number of games. Uh, each trait is weighted specifically for how much I think it matters to the position. So I'm going to grade wide receiver blocking because teams care about how wide receivers block. But I'm not going to weight it above hands because you got to be able to catch football way more than you got to be able to block. Uh, that's going to spit out a number for me. And that number goes on, on, on a scale. And that scale's got tiers that correlate to round one grades, round two grades, round three grades. Uh, so I can, I can rank you ordinarily. I can now put you into tiers. Uh, and it allows me to compare class to class. That is going to be how I scout all the positions. Now, I'll tell you, I'll do that. I'll get a grade. I'll look at it. I'll go, oh, I hate it. Oh, I don't like I, I disagree. You know what I mean? And that's, that's, yeah. the, that's the tricky thing is you tell yourself in the summer before you start putting final grades on guys this year, specifically with the opt-outs you did in the summer, I'm going to care about this. So my, I'm going to tell I'm going to wait my traits. And then you watch a player and you go, I'll oh, be so good at this. And maybe if I just wait this a little bit higher, Oh, if he gets into a slot role and this doesn't matter as much. And so you can use those grades to get guys into buckets and, and, and get that ranking. But I'm always a lot more interested in, in those buckets. Like, all right, I gave him a round one grade, I gave him an early two round grade, whatever, as opposed to the, the, the pure one, two, three, four, five nature of it, because evaluating for 32 teams is impossible. You know what I mean? Different teams are going to, their defensive ends, you know, a defensive end of the Eagles has got to be 260 plus pounds. He's got to be able to rush with power. A defensive end for the Colts has got to be 240 pounds of rush with speed. These are different players. You know, like this is a, 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 if we try to evaluate one guy and give him one grade for both the Colts and the Eagles, it's not going to work because they're going to value different things. So that entire process in the media is hard. That's why I do my best to get guys into buckets. And then from there, I understand who I like for which roles, who I like for which fits, whose skill sets are going to be able to put them in specific spots. Um, But if you, right, if you go purely intuitively and you say, I'm just going to watch film and I'm going to get a feel for how much I like these guys, you, you can get some good things out of that. I, I do think you can, uh, you know, I, if, the more you watch film, the more you're going to have that automatic, that fast process in your head that just kind of does some work for you. And you should respect that. 
But at the same time, once you get to next year's class, it's going to be really difficult to start comparing guys because, you know, we all are going to forget how much we love Joe Burrow since we saw him in Cincinnati have some struggles with his arm strength. You know, so I I do like the fact that I get a number on a guy because it helps me go back next year and say, this is where I would have had this guy in last year's class. He's how the classes stack up, which is important for me in my field. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you know, something similar goes on when we're doing some quantitative modeling. For instance, I'm gonna I'm doing some modeling on wide receivers and running backs that I'm gonna come out with. And you know, people are lying if they're telling you that, you know, you put things in and there's some sort of one process for everything. And if you follow down the line, that's exactly mm-hmm. how it goes, and then you just accept the results. But I guess one of the differences between when you're doing maybe data modeling on a large set of data um, is that you can rework the process and then you get different results but it's a different results across the board and then from there you can use some intuition to say how is this fitting and then the most of the, the most of the players are fitting kind of where you want but then you can pick out some of these outliers to figure out okay should I be worried about this guy cuz he's falling down should I be interested in this guy when he's going up whereas if you're making you know individual adjustments to different players then it's really going to corrupt the the whole right. the whole process for what you're doing there um, and I think there's something else with quarterbacks where, especially in a year like this, we're going to have five guys potentially going in the top 10 picks. Um, so when people are saying, I have Zach Wilson number two and Fields number three, or, or whoever you, you want to you arrange on that, on that, on that, on that scale, it's not practically that big of a difference, but mm-hmm. people see that as a big difference because we're, uh, viewing this as a rank ordering, wherein the reality is we're talking about guys who, who are going to go one, two, three at quarterback. So it's a very strong class and, and a lot of those guys are there. But what, but one thing though, and I'll ask you about this, another, one more process question before we get into some of the, the final things here. What I think is always interesting is when you look at these big boards for drafts and um, friend of the pod, Arif Hassan, just put together this consensus top right. 300 big board. This happens every year to some degree, but for this year, People are still never want to throw the quarterbacks up near the top, other than maybe mm-hmm. one guy. This so is Ben one... Baldwin's biggest bone to pick. He does it every year. <laughs> so yeah, so so guys are optimizing for success, like your chance of success a little bit more than value. And I guess maybe you could say it's fair if you're looking at a spectrum across the league and you're saying what does this team needs as opposed to the teams who need quarterbacks just float up to the top so they're not necessarily you shouldn't be coming from the perspective of a of all teams that are desperate for quarterbacks which there are um, a handful of teams who are willing to move up into that range yeah so so looking at uh a reef's list here we have trevor lawrence is number one according to the 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 top 300 big board which is uh you know a, a combination aggregation of all these different big boards that he's tracking uh, Fields is five, Wilson is six, Trey Lance is 12, and um, Mac Jones is 22. So we have someone like Mac Jones is 22 who could go number three in the NFL draft. Are you worried about those those disconnects? And I think that's another reason that people get mad at analysts because – they're like, I'm about to, or my team's about to draft this guy number three, and you're telling me he's the 22nd, he's a 25th best right. product, he may not be a first-round pick. That's that's painful, where I don't think those disconnects happen with other positions as much. Definitely, and and, and because the there's no position that has a greater premium for value than quarterbacks. That's going to be right. where it manifests the most. Uh, right, it goes back to, like, what am I trying to do as a NFL draft analyst for the Draft Network? And it's, I'm trying to understand who's got a good chance to be successful. So a guy like... Like Sam just wrote the piece on like, is JC Horn a first rounder, right? JC Horn in the corner out of South Carolina is a great example. I think if JC Horn lands on a team that's like, hey, go play press man coverage in year one 90% of the time, he's going to be amazing. But not a lot of teams do that. 
And even most teams that do that would have to do it more to accommodate JC Horn. Teams want to be able to pitch different pitches when they throw, when they, when they call coverages. If you don't, the good, smart quarterbacks in the league, good, smart coordinators in the league are going to dice you up. So JC Horn is a little bit scheme dependent in that at South Carolina, he was at his best impressed man. When they put him in other alignments, even if he was playing man coverage, it wasn't as good. And he has very little exposure in zone. I don't know just how good he's going to be in zone coverage. I didn't get, there's not a lot of film on it. Uh, But what I do know is if he ends up in a team that's going to ask him to play heavy zone, there's going to be a a, a learning arc there that may keep his year one ceiling pretty low as he tries to, you know, get up to speed on, on a new approach, new system, new visual keys, new habits. So it's hard for me to have JC Horn graded out as like a top 10 guy. JC Horn is an early round two grade for me. So like Sam, like, is he potentially a first rounder? Uh, This is heresy to a lot of people because they watch his film and it's great. And it is, but there's, there's a wide range of places you can go to. So for me in my role, I don't skew quarterbacks higher up on my board because I'm trying to evaluate for who's going to be successful in the league. Like you said, not so much value, who's going to help me win, but who's got the best bets to be successful in the league. So my board skews towards scheme agnostic players, guys who can fit in a ton of different roles. My board skews towards uh, uh, developed players, right? Guys who I view as more pro ready and developmental guys get pushed a little bit further down because that's what I'm trying to evaluate as best I can, because I don't know what team these guys are ending up on. If you are a member of the uh, San Francisco 49ers scouting staff, yeah, you're going to evaluate the quarterbacks with a completely different paradigm than you're going to evaluate the rest of the positions. The rest of the positions is, all right, who could be good? Who's scheme? Da, da, da. Quarterback is, do I want to take this guy at three? Who's the best guy to take at three? Because you know what you're doing? You're taking a quarterback at three. So you're going to have a separate, like a whole different bucket, a whole different approach, a whole different day, nine to five, when you're sitting down on the quarterback class. And this is why, uh, you know, going back to this, these very small margins, you know, Lawrence, Fields, Wilson, Mack, Lance, are all going to go early. This is why teams start to get really wrapped up in, uh, the 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 personality aspect of it, right? The the uh, human to human aspect of it, because all these guys are great, and that's the dirt. That's the dirty secret of of you know. There was the conversation this week where it was like, why do guys bust? Is the draft a crapshoot? It's like everybody here is talented. Everybody here is a nuts athlete. Even the guys who aren't the nuts athletes are nuts athletes. It's crazy. And so when teams go to split hairs, they do it with the personal relationships they have, either with that guy or with his coaching staff or somebody that they've talked to, whatever. And that which is a, should be a small part of the evaluation ends up having big ripple effects because it decides the pick between fields and Mac at three and boy, that small decision. And you never get to see fields here. If you pick Mac, you never get to see Mac, if you pick fields, it has big, big ramifications. So it comes down to little stuff like that in the building for teams that we in the media, we just can't replicate. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Cause I mean, I think I've mentioned that on a previous podcast where there are these things, if people have very, unique sources or types of knowledge sometimes because that knowledge is unique people can overweight how important it is because you're Absolutely. like i have this really really special thing when in reality is it doesn't it doesn't matter nearly as much mm-hmm. so therefore you know you should you, you should it gets overweighted i guess in, in, in analysis that people do and i think that is probably something where when we t- talk about guys like fields and obviously there's been a big conversation this offseason about 
uh, the stereotypes that go into him being a black quarterback, the work habits things, other guys we've seen slip in the past, like maybe uh, Deshaun Watson, who was seen as being a number one overall pick. And then as he went further and further through the draft process, he was falling further and further into being a middle of the first round, which doesn't sound like a huge deal, maybe quantitatively from a, a number of spots, but that's a huge difference on how you're evaluating a quarterback. And we've always pointed back to all the teams that passed on him that year. I mean, not only the 49ers, I mean, not only the Bears who ended up taking Mitch Trubisky, but, you know, but the 49ers, but um, the Jaguars, but, the, you know, all these, the Jets, all these different teams who are now in the red, passed on him. So I, so I do think that's, that's a big aspect of it. But one thing that I will say, when thinking about draft position, I know if you're an analyst, again, thinking about process, it's probably your best as if you're an independent unit, you want to not like be influenced too much by what's going on on the outside. But at the same time, uh, you know, like Zach Wilson's giving the number two pick now, right? Like, like, you know that. So can you, can you totally, you know, dissemble that from your analysis and not have that influence you knowing he's going to go into a certain type of system, knowing he's going to have a certain type of support, knowing mm-hmm. he's going to have a certain type of coaching and how much would that change your evaluation on the player? Right. Yeah. So I've got my board and I've got my ranking and I have, you know, where I think Zach Wilson is quarterback three for me. I, I think it's a top two Lawrence and Fields. I think they're a cut above and then Wilson is three. So that's what I've got. And then I also have a piece I wrote like three months ago where I was like, if Zach Wilson ends up in a San Francisco style offense, ho, 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 uh, yeah. <laughs> here's what I could expect in terms of successes uh, and, and failures, strengths and weaknesses. And that's why you know, one of the things that we're big on at TDN, I'm personally big on is like the draft season. Everybody's like, all right, it goes through April. It really goes through May because the moment these guys get spots, it changes what you think. You know what I mean? Uh, Jason Owe is the edge out of Penn State with zero sacks in his final season. He also ran like a 439 at 250 pounds, just ludicrous athlete, right? Like, like we've never seen tested. The defensive line coach who gets this guy will have a greater impact on his career than most other third parties will have on any potential first round pick. Because this is a raw, as moldable of a ball of clay as that metaphor can allow in the NFL draft. We always use it. This guy really is. Started playing ball in high school as a junior. You know what I mean? This is this is as cool as it gets. So I evaluate OA. I put him on my board. He's always oh, edge five. It doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? Like I don't like yeah. this. He's in a tier. There's different guys who also have good athletic traits, but not great athletic traits. And they have a little bit more experience and a little more polish. How do we value this? Well, we do our best. Once Owe gets drafted, if it's to the Raiders at 17, oh no. Uh, if it's to the Vikings at 14 or in the second round, okay. You know, like it, there's, there's a, that has, that has huge ramifications in his spot. So you do your best with, with your board and, and you say, all right, we're going to rank a guy. But one of the little coins, you know, one of the little turns of phrase that we like is it's not so much about in our field, the valuation as it is the evaluation. You know what I mean? Different teams are going to value guys in different ways. Career arcs are going to get defined by a lot of things. If you evaluated a dude correctly, the words you put on him describing how he might win, how he might lose, what he needs, what he needs to avoid, if those are good, then you've got a good process. And eventually that's going to, that's going to rise to the top. That's not true for the league. The valuation is critical. Eval is as well, but valuation is critical. For us, that we're not making the picks. You know what I mean? Uh, that valuation, we want to be able to get that right. But evaluation is where the majority of our hours are spent. It's understanding the player, understanding the nuances behind him so that if he becomes successful or if he burns out, we can get a feel for why and better understand this player development process. And do you factor in 
any sort of like production metrics into your analysis. Because the reason I, I'll ask is that, again, like there's just a lot more stats out there for offensive skill players going back further. I mean, we're tracking stuff at PFF now at the college level, but it doesn't go back quite as far. We have stuff ranked like 2014 season on. So if you're modeling, you want like a lot of, you're kind of greedy with how much data you want and you want to go mm-hmm. back as far as possible. But no matter whether... Uh, for the skill positions, we have the most uh, stats, whether it's running back, whether it's wide receiver, whether it's quarterback. I mean, it's always the case that when you're modeling these things, even if you're bringing in draft position um, as as a variable in there, across the board, no matter what you look at, like guys who have stronger production tend to outperform their draft position and guys who have weaker production on average, right? They're, obviously, they're outliers all over the place right. that can justify any sort of ranking you want, tend to, to underperform their their ranking so does that fire into the process at you at all I don't know about this year because I think everyone performed really really well uh this last season and Trey Lance obviously did extremely well two years ago uh but maybe in other years or when there's more of or, or looking a little bit further down the line in particular when you're when you're saying beyond this big five beyond the other guys how important is it me to, to find guys who may have produced a little bit better than I would have thought yeah, so I, production gets put in for every single position for me, and it gets put in in very basic, uh, like, benchmark levels. Like, you're going to get a red flag for production if you don't hit these benchmarks, which is what we typically see for college players who enter the NFL. Over the last, I think I did, like, 10, 15 years. Uh, so, like, Jason Owe, who I brought up, had zero sacks in his final season. It was five games long for Penn State. He had zero sacks. He has a red box next to his name in my big magical Excel spreadsheet, and it says, hey, this guy did not produce, uh, you know, and this is something we have to investigate. I had OA a bit lower uh, than I do now. And then I went and kind of, I did some work on like Ziggy Ansan, Jason Pierre-Paul, who were other edges who came out and, and had barely any high school experience and a very little sack production and starting to understand, okay, when these guys go in the first round, it's usually because they're such good athletes that it's, they actually have a high floor in the league, despite the lack of production, because the league knows how to use athletes. So I, I'm going to get red boxes for that. Uh, I have, breakout age and 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 uh dominator rating for wide receiver because at this point like that's doing too much good work in terms of predicting productivity that i don't want to not have it as part of my process i worry a little bit about double counting there but at the same time one of the things that you do as an evaluator is you watch the film and then later you're like oh shoot that guy was 22 you know what i mean like that's an easy thing for us to miss they don't wear their their age on the back of their helmets Uh, and so it does matter you know what i mean if i had a good film grade between Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith, they're roughly the same. And one guy was three years older. Yeah, that matters to me. Uh, that, that matters to the league as well. Not only for how dominant they were against similarly aged or much younger players, but also if he's done with his first contract at 24 versus if he's done with his first contract at 27, that that's going to change how much I want to draft him because I have the ability to re-sign him and maybe get a few more years out of that second contract. And so I, I, yeah, I use like catch-all bucket metrics. They're probably, you look at them and go like, these are counting stats. Some of them are, you know what I mean? And for linebackers, we're doing the best we can with, with what we got. <laughs> um, but I, all I want to know is if a player was uniquely uh, bad in terms of production. It was uniquely unproductive. So that I can go back and, and go through his film and go through his work and try to understand why. Um, because that's an easy thing for me to miss when I'm watching film is like, Oh, you know, he didn't have as many tackles as everybody else. Well, I thought he was missing tackles a little bit, but when you go back and you watch like, Oh, he's missing a lot of tackles. Uh, how, how is this going to change the way I view him? And so production and athleticism, the same thing. I'm going to red flag people who test as, as, as bad athletes across a class, because you better be doing something special mentally. If you're going to hang out in the league, uh, with poor athleticism. So those come into the process for me, mostly to red flag guys, just to show me people that I should be concerned about. I should do more work on. 
Okay. Yeah. That uh, that sounds like exactly how I would put it into the process. Let's let's get into the quarterbacks here. So you you kind of uh, spoiler alert. You already said that Trevor Lawrence and you had Fields up at the mm-hmm. top. I mean, let's just start with Lawrence to be interesting. And what I will say is that from what I've seen, now I'm sure there are other. I'm sure I missed some stuff out there, but just from from what I'm taking in on the the cesspool of social media is that I see some guys are saying that they would not have Trevor Lawrence number one. Now we've heard from NFL insiders. Uh, I don't remember if it was Breer or if it was Peter King, but I think some people have talked about, hey, there are some teams who have Zach Wilson above above Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I've seen some analysts with Zach Wilson above Trevor Lawrence. I don't remember if Sims was one of them, but then I've seen some other guys who do some stuff. I think stuff it was, on, yeah. Yeah, it was Sims, right? So there's a couple of guys I've seen on tape who will put Wilson above above Lawrence. But I don't think I've seen Fields above above Lawrence, at least not very often. I think even those who are huge Justin Fields fans that probably have it in a situation like you do where it's a 1A, 1B type of, type of situation. So let's talk about Lawrence. And uh, the thing going into the draft season was generational prospect, um, this is your 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 uh, John Elway, the the, the uh, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, and then now Trevor Lawrence. I, I kind of knew as we got closer to this that there would be more nitpicking as we as we have seen in particular with Peyton Manning and the Ryan Leaf discussion way way back in the day. A little bit less with Andrew Luck. Um, so, is there anything to, to, to pick at here, or is is anyone who is putting someone else above Lawrence like what what's going on there in your mind, and how do you mm-hmm. interpret what what's happening? This was absolutely stuff to pick at. Uh, coming into this season, I had fields above Lawrence. Lawrence 2019 was sophomore slump like to a T. You know, he walked in as a freshman and was ungodly, right? He was the prince who was promised, right? I, like right. what he I like was, to he talk was number about. one pick according to quite a few places after he won the the national right. championship and everything else. Like if if he could come out as a freshman, he would go number one. And we do this every year. We didn't do it to as, as great of a degree as we've done it to Lawrence, but we always preordain guys. You know what I mean? NFL dudes catch the second half of a college football semifinal game while they're hanging out with their buddies in the office. And then they text a reporter they know, and they're like, Lawrence is going one, man, which is like what we do to our friends. You know what I mean? Right? Like I, my buddy texts me, we're watching Alabama Ohio State. I'm like, Justin Fields is the greatest quarterback alive. Yeah, it's not my actual ranking, but like yeah. I – I'm watching him play and I'm losing my mind. Well, that's uh, probably some context for people is to realize inside the NFL, there are a lot of guys who are just, they're just not watching any call. Mm-hmm. Any call they're football. not. What I they're always, cramming for the draft. Basically. What I always tell people is if I worked in the league and it was no like skin off my back, one of the first things I would do is see what the crazy things I could get reporters to say. Oh, what <laughs> you guys can fill your day, dude, time. Like I, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a mischievous person like that, but like yeah. that's, you know, like yeah. it, it it, it's not there's no consequences there so why not just like you know i have this own personal kind of haywire crazy idea i'm just going to tell it to a reporter and it'll be out there and then i don't have to tell it to my boss instead you know what i mean whatever so it's that nfl stuff is always convoluted so lawrence was preordained we decided after that season is the first overall pick in two years greatest player alive sick and then nobody watched his sophomore film in which lawrence was like i'm the man so i'm just gonna make every throw uh, difficult and crazy. And I'm going to challenge every coverage and I'm not going to be responsible with the ball. And he threw a lot of interceptable passes. Uh, he threw into a lot of contested windows. He put his receivers in danger by throwing them into safeties and throwing them into hits. And Clemson's passing game suffered for it a little bit. You know, they, they were neck to neck with that UNC and that UNC game has great throws and has bad throws. Uh, so he looked human. Uh, settled down in the second half of the season. 
played very, very well, obviously made it to the national championship game, lost to LSU. Uh, and then his 2020 season showed some maturation. He was a lot more willing to take easy stuff. He was a lot more willing to, to go through the process as a normal, regular quarterback and not this, you know, uh, just completely immortal future NFL or all of you ACC defenses are too, too bad for me sort of a guy. Uh, there's still arrogance there. And there's arrogance with Fields and there's arrogance with Wilson. Uh, this year, particularly, all of these quarterbacks are very, very good. And they're all also coming from very, very dominant programs. Uh, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. So those are for your top five college football programs at the power five level. BYU, which obviously is an independent, but typically is playing group of five teams, especially this year, and was one of the best group of five teams this year. And then North Dakota State, which is the Alabama of the FCS. So you've got really, really good supporting casts, which let these quarterbacks get away with trying a lot of stuff. True of every single one of them. Uh, and so there's arrogance in the way Lawrence plays. Uh, he views tight windows as a, as a challenge. He'll take those throws. Maybe he shouldn't. Uh, he played in a, a little bit of a Mickey Mouse offense. Uh, if this were not a preordained number one overall pick, we would have heard a lot more about always oh, only throwing RPOs, always oh, only throwing bubble screens. He's just counting box numbers and then, then you know, throwing option plays stuff that's been concerning about other quarterbacks in the past, like that offensive structure, for some reason just isn't talked about with Lawrence. So there absolutely is, uh, there's stuff to nitpick. I think that when he transitions to a very pro-style vertical offense and Daryl Bevel's offense in Jacksonville, there's going to be more of a ramp up than people realize. I think those first eight games might be a little bit dicey. We're going to get those, oh no, the Jaguars ruined it. They blew it articles. And then I think he'll, he'll level out. With all that said, uh, he can put the ball about 50 yards down the field in a bucket at will. Uh, and so sometimes, you know what I mean? I, I do think if you have a process and it put fields above Lawrence or Wilson above Lawrence, that's no worries. You know what I mean? It's very rare that the first quarterback consensus and the first quarterback that the NFL drafts is the best one in a class. So I got no problem with that. Uh, I don't think people are doing it just for uh, clicks or anything, but I do think there is a sensation of nobody really critically watched Lawrence until this season, after the season field time, the season Wilson had. And they said, Oh, Lawrence, isn't as good as I thought he'd be. Yeah, but he's still really, really freaking good. Uh, and, and to me, that's quarterback one. The talent is nuts. The body of work is impressive. The experience is great. He's going to be a good, good pro. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that there's probably an under value from some people for and this is something that's found when in, in different modeling like the more years you have as a starter that's very helpful now it's it's better to have great performance early in your career than it is to have you know crap performance early in your career obviously mm -hmm. but maybe there's a little bit less of a of a value there and i think that'll come into to wilson when we talk about wilson and how he stepped his game up in this last season and how we should view those those earlier seasons based upon that there's another thing with lawrence and people wouldn't think this when they think of of clemson but there's been a little bit of talk about, you know, this guy's maybe under a little bit more, you know, pockets collapsing-ish sort of thing. You know, his receivers, I know he has uh, Amari Rogers, who's predicted to potentially be a day two type of pick. Um, mm -hmm. I'm pretty low on him, honestly, for, for what oh? he can do. He could, oh, heartbreaking. He, I love he Amari. Kind of, he, well, he looks, he, he's one of these like in-betweener, tweener guys who uh, yeah. I'm not quite, quite sure about. But, you know, he didn't have T. Higgins anymore. He didn't have maybe the, the higher-level talent that you would see at a place like like Alabama. And I think maybe that can get a little bit underweighted when you look at, like, their competition maybe isn't as strong as some others, but the teammates are strong. What do you think about that and what's been around him at Clemson? Does that explain at all his, his variations, or do you think it's more him 
learning how to to adjust to you know he's not everything isn't just magic and uh and rainbows and everything right. coming out like it was in his freshman season yeah i think so this past year you had they had a receiver justin ross who was a projected top 10 receiver big catch point guy t higgins mold uh, and he had a, a a neck injury he had like a fused vertebra or something i can't remember exactly what it was but something that kept him out of football for a year very serious uh medical condition that they found actually during i think like uh, routine physical stuff uh, and so he lost who would have been wide receiver one. Amari's obviously able to become a heavy target guy, but he's not a downfield, all three levels of field routes, whatever. He's a ball in hand player. So yeah, they were thrown to freshmen on the outside. Receivers weren't, were his worst in three years. Offensive line this year was his worst uh, in three years. Jackson Carmen is the only guy who's going to be in, in the draft class this year. Don't think he's going to be a very early pick. Uh, last year in that 2019 season where he struggled a little bit, they also didn't have any early picks, but they had two draftable guys, Gabe Cervanka and Lord, I cannot remember the other guy's name, um, but they had more veteran players, guys with multiple years of starting. So this was his worst supporting cast this year. That's that's true. And it definitely matters. Cause like I said, the other guys like Ohio state, BYU, like crazy supporting cast. So that for Lawrence definitely mattered this year. He did more under pressure this year, impressive work than I'd seen him do in years past. Uh, the 2019 slump, he still had, I think, a good supporting cast, and he had had a great experience against ACC defenses, not very good defenses, in his freshman year. I still largely attribute that slump to just a guy who looked like he was very, very, very confident in his own ability, and rightfully so, but was pushing his limits to kind of figure out where they are. You know what I mean? Like, I have no problem with him making those choices in that he was in most games up by multiple scores and Clemson had their running game to go back on and their defense to go back on. You know what I mean? Like you should try to understand what your limits are in terms of what crazy throws you can make, what you can do outside of structure, because eventually you might need that, that arrow in your quiver, right? It's like Patrick Mahomes just doing weird stuff during practice to see what Patrick Mahomes can do. You know, like you, you, you do have to uh, experience those limits It just put Clemson in some close games. You know, it did get them in trouble sometimes. So I, I do think it's largely the development of a player, you know, true freshman starter who wins a national championship is just not something we're accustomed to seeing. And so we don't really have a model to look back on to be like, Oh, he's doing it. Like this guy did. There aren't many guys who, who've had the arc that Lawrence did. So I, I think it is career arc, but absolutely his supporting cast got worse every single year. And he had to learn how to account for that over time, which honestly is a, uh, it's a good, good practice for the league. Cause sometimes you end up with those seasons where you don't have the, the supporting cast that other teams do. Yeah. I mean, I think we've seen to a less, I mean, to, with Deshaun Watson, you had a little bit of his, his last year's final season where the INTs went up, mm-hmm. um, but there are some guys where things that they're they're redshirt freshman seasons for guys like Sam Darnold and for Jameis Winston were less indicative of how they were going to be in the pros than were their redshirt sophomore seasons, their last seasons where the turnovers went way up and that and that didn't come back. But like you said, we saw with Lawrence him correct and come around here. Uh, I guess the final thing with Lawrence is now that we know that he doesn't really care for football. Does that affect your, 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 your opinion at all? That he's not insane because it's Tom mm-hmm. Brady or bust in the NFL. Yeah. I, uh, the people that I think like, I have zero issue with what Lawrence said, his agent, I would be like, dude, like you've got to do a better job at figuring out, like you have to work him for this. Cause he said nothing wrong, but obviously he, he gave quotes that are going to get talked about and everything like that. And you just didn't need to invite that three weeks before the draft. You know, yeah, you could have, yeah. You know, oh, we can write this puff piece in May, Sports Illustrated. Let's chill. Um, you know, so I, I, I have zero concern about that. And, you know, Lawrence tried to, you know, 
clarify in a tweet and whatever. But from what he said, he sounds just like a dude with his head screwed on straight. And thank God for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. It's not. He's so locked in the number one that I think like people don't want to waste their breath too much, even talking mm-hmm. about this. But mind you, literally after week one, if he starts and struggles, that quote's exactly. Gonna come that's what I'm up. saying. Is like uh, that's what the, it's going to come to get him. If that's you told me like Lawrence's career busts, why? You know what I mean? Yeah. I'd answer right now. I would say because he has a very regular rookie kind of rocky start to his first five weeks of the season, and people start going nuts on him, and it gets in his head. Uh, yeah, yeah. because he didn't have to endure that at Clemson and he might have to endure that here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, if I were Trevor Lawrence, I'd probably not have any issues with uh, confidence or chips on the shoulder right. or anything. Exactly. <laughs> he is, he's, he's the golden child. So I'm not, not, I, I agree with him there. All right. Okay. So let, let's go. This fields Wilson discussion, I think is one of the more interesting things. Um, I will say that there are, okay. So, so with, with fields, and Wilson, I feel like Wilson is now occupied this space for some people where he is viewed in some ways as Zach Wilson, in some ways as the guy people have ahead of Justin Fields, which, I mean, maybe there's some bias there against them because of that I can't tell if it's true or not, but I think there there could be. It's funny that some people made some comparisons between between Wilson and Baker Mayfield as a player. And I think there may be also some comparisons in the way that they're viewed by certain people because Baker Mayfield would like do these things um, where if it was another player, like a Cam Newton or someone else, people would be like, oh my God, he'd be getting trashed up and down and this and that. But, but right. Baker Mayfield's like, oh, he's, you know, he's got moxie or whatever, you know, and he, mm-hmm. he'd get those sort of things. So some people are almost like, like looking at him vis-a-vis other quarterbacks. And Wilson's kind of occupied that space, I think somewhat for that. So, what about what about Fields? What do you think people are missing on him, and why they're they're falling in love with Wilson instead? Um, I mean, the guy won the national championship and threw like seven hundred touchdowns. So what in that game? So what's going on here? Yeah, I think that you know we always have our our relative understanding of players, and they always kind of uh, uh, that's the launching point for our narratives, and then narratives can snowball and get out of control. Largely here, looking at Wilson as a player who fun you know what i mean like a lot of people in the draft field were like the wilson kid from byu is interesting you know which is our like catch-all term for like i've seen him and he looks like he's better than the average college player and that's all i have right now uh so okay he's interesting and then obviously that byu offense starts rolling pretty quickly and it's all right you know wilson's doing he's gonna be an nfler and then uh, andre wall has that that graphic where he puts him at quarterback too and everybody including me was like this is nuts guys uh, we can't be doing this. Like he's a good player. Don't ruin a good player. But that Wait, when, becomes, when, when was that? When was that that you're talking? That about? was a halfway through the season. Andre okay, was right. way ahead of everybody on this, and I owe him an apology <laughs> because that was correct. Uh, a that 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 snowball starts to get rolling, and that's what we we talk about for two weeks. And so now more people are watching Wilson. More reporters are asking NFL guys about Wilson. Uh, NFL dudes are loving this whole Zach Wilson thing because his his peak plays right the quick watch you just kind of put on his film the peak plays are bananas right like the stuff that he's doing like oh my gosh you know he aesthetically looks like rogers when he throws it off all off of a running foot you know what i mean he looks like kyler when he's jumping around back there in the pocket and these are just like fun easy comparisons oh he's got an arm like mahomes because he's throwing outside of structure and nobody else does that uh so bang you know what i mean we're just gonna hit, hit these comparisons and that's what it's gonna be uh and so that starts to go and starts to go and starts to go and that pendulum swings all the way up to its arc and then eventually the kickback comes, which is from people like me who like, I'm not the bit, I, I'm, I think Zach Wilson's awesome, but I don't have him as quarterback one or quarterback two. Uh, and other people in the field who are just like, 
we did too much. We always do too much. We got to bring this back down. Like this is the, you know, we throw a little bit of water on the fire. Uh, that arc as compared to Justin Fields arc, which is uh, he's going to go to Georgia and he's going to dominate. And then he doesn't even start over Jake Fromm. And then he ends up in Ohio state. And so many people just do the whole Ohio state quarterback thing, which is extremely frustrating. Um, but he ends up in Ohio state and most people's first exposure to Justin Fields was the semifinal game in 2019 against Clemson. So the first one he played where he played a fine game, not a great game, fine game. And then threw a game ending pick on a miscommunication, not like an inaccurate ball, not like a dumb decision. He thought Alave was going to keep running. Alave thought he had to cut back and it's a wide open pick. Uh, and people remember that. And then it's big 10 it's late season. No, like, you know, uh, it's always, oh, beating up on Rutgers who had like a half good defense this year, which is Rutgers. Nobody thinks it's Rutgers. Uh, you get the Northwestern game. That's the next nationally televised game. It's exactly like the Clemson game. It's a fine game. It's not a great game. He throws a pick in the end zone. You know what I mean? And feel like it's the same guy. Uh, nobody is, I think, understanding that what week to week fields is doing in this offense, what's required of him. So there's just difference in narratives. That's going to define what we talk about. And then somebody's going to have a new take about it. And we're going to continue talking about it. And that's just what it's going to be in our space. For the league, uh, you know, I think we're going to see Wilson too. Uh, and I think we're not going to see fields at three. I think we're going to see fields after three. Uh, it is surprising to see that to be the case, given fields recruiting background. Usually that's a big sig- signifier for teams. It really speaks to the degree to which they're, they're betting on what you have from Wilson's top end talent. Um, but to me, the most perplexing thing in terms of round one is how teams are talking themselves out of X number two overall recruit, five-star quarterback, number one dual threat quarterback, uh, national championship player, Justin Fields, 4'4", 40, a 230-pound, 60-yard arm guy. Usually he checks every box. Uh, and the, the effort you have to put in to convince yourself that he's not a good enough processor for the league is impressive so the league put in a lot of work to talk themselves out of justin fields so from a narrative perspective i get it from a league perspective it it's it's we're nine days out and i'm still surprised that nobody's gone psych fields it too you know it, it right. it's really quite something yeah well i mean okay so i you had commented on some numbers that i put out on on twitter about i'm just trying to understand this fields thing because mm-hmm. um like uh, processing, like, you know, every, someone's a great processor, someone's not a great processor, someone plays in a, you know, a translatable scheme, someone doesn't. All those things, I feel like, while important, you know, once these guys get to the league, very often you see players who were not ready and you put them in 100%. and they're successful immediately, or guys who were quote unquote pro ready who, Sometimes that's like uh, an, an that that's that's basically a substitution for a guy who's like not athletic, and then that's difficult to to deal with in, in the pros because you don't have that that crutch. Sometimes you can lean on where mm-hmm. you can get out of certain situations and and have trouble doing it. Um, but when it came to Fields speci- specifically, and these are the the numbers that that I had for him is that when he was under pressure was the thing that that jumped out the most. That he was getting sacked about a quarter of the time that he was under pressure. He was scrambling almost 18, 20% of the time. So we're looking at, you know, over 40% of the time when he's under pressure, the ball is not leaving his hand. And I think Mm -hmm. some people may be looking at that and that may be what they are 
they are really nitpicking at when it comes to this processing thing. Just for reference, Lawrence is like 15 – Lawrence and Wilson are around 15% of the time they're getting sacked when they're pressured. And Jones, uh, Jones is more like 12%. And then they're all scrambling between 7 and 6%. Now, I think scrambles are successful plays, but I do think there can be a problem if you're – perhaps if you're doing it too much. Um, so how much do you think that plays into it that they're saying – Teams, you know, evaluators are so focused on executing, right? So mm-hmm. on those plays, roughly 40% of the time, he's not, like, executing what would be probably an evaluator's top choice. I mean, sometimes maybe literally there's no one open, but I think very often when people are watching it, they can find they can always find somewhere the ball should have gone on a particular right. play. Yeah, that's that's the main thing is, like, definitely the Ohio State offense did less than other offenses to, like, we're going to leak out the running back and he's going to be a check down. And the reason they did that, I think over time, you saw them actually do a little bit more against top competition because they got more like drop eight, drop seven deep zones. But the reason they didn't really do that is because fields don't want to throw that. And he has to learn to take it. Uh, and this yeah. goes back to quarterbacking with arrogance. Cause you're so freaking naturally gifted and your team is so freaking good that you can just get away with it. Uh, both fields is sacks and fields is scrambles in my opinion, have the same uh, point of, of generation, the same issue. He's late to drop his eyes, right? We usually talk about, oh, it's bad to drop your eyes in the pocket. Well, if there's like a guy rushing, you got to look at him. Uh, you know, you, you have to be able to, to split your attention to, to varying degrees between what's going on deep down the field and your route progression, what's going on in your pocket. You watch, I brought up the Rutgers game earlier. You watch the Rutgers game. Rutgers was getting unblocked dudes like on a chalkboard. The defensive coordinator was like, yes, we beat them. This is it. We did it. They're going to unblock dudes like crazy. And Fields is has having awesome escapes, right? Where he's sitting in the pocket. He knows the guy's coming off his blind side. So he sits, he waits, he lets him get in close. He fakes a, a climb up and then he bails out of the back of the pocket, rolling out to my left, offhand throw, beautiful down the field. And that is it. That's awesome. But he knew that guy was coming. And oftentimes when a, a, a defense gives him something he did not expect pre-snap, Fields is inflexible. Uh, he wants to keep his eyes downfield. He wants to get to his first read. He believes if he hangs in there for that half second, he's going to be able to make that throw and, and he can make it no matter where it is on the field, no matter the coverage, he can do it. That means that when he decides to hold that ball, right? When he's like, all right, I can't throw this. Or when the pressure comes a little bit quicker, his offensive line loses quickly. He's going to sit there and he's going to take a hit. He's a big boy. And so sometimes that hit bounces right off him. I'll never be able to forget that Indiana rush where they sent seven and they got a free safety coming in the A gap. And he hit fields at a full head of steam and just bounced off him. That's not regular. You know what I mean? That's stupid. Fields takes that, scrambles to the outside. I can't remember if he threw it or if he ran it, but he turns that into a positive play. Uh, That's where your scrambles come from. Your sacks come from when that rusher is a bigger linebacker or is a defensive lineman or is a a, a, that northwestern uh corner rush on that first drive where the corner knew that off the rutgers film that fields is going to fake the hitch up and he's going to try to bail out the back so when fields faked the hitch up corner didn't bite he went behind fields he was able to get a, a drag down tackle so you have to be more willing as fields to drop your eyes and respond to immediate pressure in the pocket when it's taking away your first option because good coverage can take away your first option. And so can immediate pressure. And right now he wants to hang around. He wants to be big. He wants to be strong. It's that Ben Roethlisbergian Carson Wentzian, you know, I'm huge. And if I get hit, I can survive. And then I'm going to go make a play. It's that philosophy. And that'll invite too many hits in the league. Fields has already had a couple of seasons where he's been a little bit banged up on. It's going to invite too many sacks. If anything, you know, the scramble numbers are high, 
because often when he survives that hit, he's now in tuck and run mode. You know what I mean? He's already been hit once. He's already tucked the ball, made it safe. Now he, now he's, he's going to go run. If anything, I'd like to see him more proactive leaving the pocket, which I think will cut down on the sack numbers. If it means more scrambles, because he's already out of the pocket, sure. Uh, but he's the best guy in the world to scramble. He's 6'3", 220, 230 with 4'4 four, four speed. You know what I mean? Like that's a good guy to have out in the open field. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's about speeding up that decision-making process and understanding, all right, sometimes the defense is going to throw garbage at me just to prevent me from being able to throw this ball to my first read. I have to accept that the defense did that. I have to respond to that first, and then I have to go make a play outside of structure. Yeah, the injury concern is is something that's a little bit interesting because, you know, there it goes back and forth. I think, like, obviously you'd rather be big than small when you have big people running into really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there has been – like more success of these smaller quarterbacks to avoid injury, uh, like yep. a Russell Wilson who has never missed a game. I think he had like a uh, the worst thing that he's really had was he had, I think he had like a high ankle sprain or something like that. But other than that, he is, he, these guys kind of know how to avoid hits a little bit better. And uh, whereas you know your Cam Newtons, your Ben Roethlisberger's, uh, Justin Fields, other guys who can Carson Wentz who can stand in there and take some punishment, you just leave yourself a little bit more vulnerable. Um, you give people a different right. target also. Uh, yeah, because short. Waist short and dense is ideal russell wilson yeah. baker mayfield because if you had to take a hit you got the body for it but you're quick and, and you're elusive and you can get underneath guys tall and dense is i'm going to be a statue and sometimes and not always but it can be and like that's bad drew Brees is another like shorter but a little bit denser guy short and slight can be scary that's your zach wilson your kyle uh your, your kyla murray a little bit your lamar lamar is decently tall but that's like all right these guys are super elusive but sometimes the defense gets you and then you want to make sure they can unfold themselves so that short dense mold is ideal fields is tall dense and so he's like oh i'm gonna take a hit in the ribs oh, you don't have to do that buddy just get rid of the ball yeah yeah but we have seen guys transition uh, especially with time to throw whether it was andrew luck or ben roethlisberger or some others as they've gone on with their careers uh cam newton in that short-lived uh 2017 20, 2017 season um where where he was able to 2018 season when he was able to speed speed things up so mm-hmm. all right well let's hop to wilson so when, when we talk about the gap here between these guys where does wilson fall then um obviously the presumed number two pick where do you think would be an appropriate range for him um i mean do you think he's he's good enough that a top 10 team should be uh throwing a dart at him if they well not throwing a guitar, but they should be taking a chance on him if they have that need at quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. I think Wilson warrants the number two overall pick. I okay. if I had the 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 role and I was on the Jets offense, I think I'd be taking Fields. Wilson ran a play action boot approach in BYU. It was a large part of his jump uh, in, in 2020. And Seth, for you guys, wrote about this very very well, where he said BYU wasn't doing this. Wilson was kind of good. BYU started doing this. Wilson got really good. And his best plays were these plays, play action, under center boot, uh, Kyle Shanahan inspired. We should be kind of worried about that. because we've seen what this offense has done for NFL quarterbacks. What's it doing for Zach Wilson and our evaluation of him? So they run that, that style of offense at BYU, but they largely run that play action boot and then go target somebody outside the numbers. Dax Milne, Gunnar Romney, you know, uh, option vertical route. We're either going to throw it deep over the shoulder. We're going to throw it back shoulder. We're going to throw a deep comeback, which is a little bit peculiar because what Shanahan loves about that wide zone boot is that it, it pulls the linebackers down and away from the box. And now I can throw middle of the field. BYU did not like having Wilson throw middle of the field. Zach Wilson doesn't like throwing middle of the field. And that freaks me out a little bit. Uh, if he's going to end up in the exact same offense with the jets, but in general, uh, ability to modulate arm angles, uh, 
I talk about having every arrow in your quiver. You gotta be able to throw a touch. You gotta be able to throw with velocity. You gotta be able to throw around guys. You have to be able to throw uh, accurately below the knees or accurately above the face mask. Wilson's got everything. Uh, and so he's got every throw you want. And you can adjust arm angles. And you can throw off different platforms in terms of the variety of throws you can get away with in an RPO play action, adjusted platform, kind of messy system. Wilson's awesome. Uh, and so to me, like he warrants the number two overall pick. I would prefer fields, but when the jets take him, I'll say, you could very well go be successful with this guy. That, 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 that doesn't concern me too much at all. So the middle of the field stuff's a little bit worrisome. Uh, you brought up how he performs when he's pressured. People are concerned with the amount that he was pressured. I honestly had him as being pressured, like not a ton, but not like a concerningly low amount. Uh, and he's generally very springy. That's where you get the Kyler Murray comparisons. He's just a little jitterbug back there. Uh, so a lot of his pocket management is a bit more... Uh, grandiose than it should be. The best pocket managers are subtle. We're going to get a half yard here. We're going to take a half step there. We're going to, you know, move a little bit to help my tackle a little bit, but I'm still going to keep myself tethered to the ground and ready to throw. Whereas Wilson just bounces, right? And he, he, he likes to escape a lot more. He likes to fade back a lot more. That's the sort of thing that gets Mahomes in trouble. Uh, so you, you, these are, are rough edges to, to, to smooth over. I think you can make him a better pocket manager. You probably can never make him much better of a middle of the field thrower, but learning how to throw with anticipation at NFL speeds. It always takes some time. So yeah, there's gaps in his eval, the same way there is with Fields, same way there is with Lawrence. Uh, in terms of confidence, uh, Wilson, Lance, and Lawrence, or excuse me, Wilson, Fields, and Lawrence, it's, it's just the BYU. It's the strength of competition. It's the new system helping him out so much. It's tough to be just as confident in him as the other two guys, but on-field talent, he's right up there with them. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned some of the Mahomes comparisons, and those come out. And I know, you know, it's apocryphal the, and with Rodgers also. And I'll say that mm-hmm. that is true. I mean, you often get this. Okay, this is my – I'm going to get some amateur uh, f- film taken here. I like here, it. But, um, I mean, you often get this – how many quarterbacks can make this throw? And it's like literally a throw that every quarterback in the NFL could make. But I mean, I will say that some of the stuff that you watch Zach Wilson do, and I think it was it was kind of on steroids when you saw that throw at his pro day. Um, like that's just I mean, it is something that like people can't do. Like people cannot generate mm-hmm. that sort that 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 sort of velocity off of that sort of platform. So I could see how guys can fall in love with that because they're saying, okay, this is this thing that like literally you can't teach that he can do. And then I'm just going to teach him everything else that goes into it. I mean, I'll I'll say the negatives when it comes to him, I think like these Mahomesian sort of things that you mentioned that people may be looking at positively is kind of weird because that was the reason that Mahomes himself was not seen as being a top, top sort of guy. So I think that's a little bit weird. Um, just from when I watch him a little bit, he he kind of hit, he hitches a decent amount, or he's kind of way like he, he I don't know the ball doesn't come out that quickly sometimes. So I do wonder if and it floats a little bit more than I think, even though it has this great like velocity. There is like it does float. I mean, maybe it's the hashes that are, that, that are just making it look like it floats a little bit more. But I do wonder in the NFL level will that where that start that stuff will happen because when you talk about this arrogance, I think he plays maybe even with a higher level of arrogance than some of these other guys, and it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how that translates to the NFL because that's typically something people would say like that's not going to work in the NFL. But then we saw an extremely arrogant player like Patrick Mahomes uh, translated perfectly to the NFL, and maybe people are reassessing that that thought no you're right on we gotta get you a stopwatch i fully agree <laughs> that's some good film uh yeah the velocity gets over appreciated because his release is so quick uh yeah. so the velocity he generates without a windup or without a base is bananas yeah but that velocity in and of itself isn't like paramount 
and other quarterbacks would just leave their feet in the ground and generate the same or better velocity. So it's impressive what he's doing, but in terms of actual impact, it's, it, it gets, I think, overappreciated, uh, right? The, the hitching, uh, he likes to see it before he throws it. Absolutely. And he can get away with that in this offense with these receivers at BYU with this protection. Uh, New York's offensive line ain't great. Sometimes you got to throw as you see it. Uh, and he's going to have to learn that quickly. And that's a tough habit to generate. So uh, yes, that, that hitching is, I can just wait. I can just wait. I can just wait. And I have enough velocity where once I see it on cover, bang, I can fit it into a tight window. And yes, the, the, the arrogance is, I mean, just look at his face. Look at his little headband. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, that's mean, but he's a, uh, he, the baby he, punchable face also comes right. into some people's evaluations on. on uh, listen, hey, he's got a baby face. I know I'm not allowed to talk about that, but he does. <laughs> uh, he is so much of his, uh, so many of his good plays are, a result of his uh, confidence in his and his self and his ability to avoid pressure and his ability to make a big time throw, which you watch like a Fields and a Lawrence, they've got throw it plays like that, but they also have plays that are really good where they're just kind of sticking to structure. Whereas Wilson's like, oh, I'm going to throw a 50 yard seam ball. This is not allowed. Um, but you're, you're that that salient point, which is he does things that other guys don't do, is critical because it's going to tell league coaches right. I can access more of the field. I can do crazier things. He can get me out of jams better than these other guys. I'm going to be able to color in the lines and teach him the, the nuts and the bolts, which is a lie we tell ourselves every year. Sometimes it's true, but coaches are always like, I am the one who can do it. Nobody else could. I can. <laughs> that would be nice. But unfortunately, there's a lot that goes into teaching a guy something. It's not just how good is his teacher. Uh, and so Wilson's going to be an exercise in how high of a floor does he afford you in structure? Is that enough to justify some of the mistakes and some of the confusions and some of the interceptions such that you're able to get to those third and long plays where he makes throws that nobody else makes uh, accessing all these parts of the field and all these throws sounds great in, in theory until you realize 90% of your offense is going to stay bread and butter. Uh, and he doesn't even like to throw in the middle of the field anyway, even though he could, because he, you know, he wants to see it so on and so forth. So these things always, and I'm going to coach him up always sounds so good in April and then fast forward 18 months to next October. And it's like, Oh, this is harder than we thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's fun. I think it'll be fun either way. Um, even yes. if you see some, some pick sixes, uh, along the way with, with that. Finally, the 2021 NFL draft guide is out with 150 player profiles, everything you need to be on top of things well before we get to April, when your team is on the clock, you can get it with an edge or elite subscription. Use promo code SUPERBOWL25 and get 25% off those subscriptions. And that promo code is active through Monday after the Super Bowl. That's 25% off an annual Edge or Elite subscription, which includes the 2021 NFL Draft Guide with promo code SUPERBOWL25. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. All right, so let's, is, is, how much of a gap are we, are, is between Wilson and, I don't know, do you have Lance next? Do you have Jones next? Where are you going? Mm -hmm. So I have Lance next. Uh, Lance and Wilson, I have quite close. In terms of physical talent, Lance is a superior prospect to Wilson. Most people wouldn't say that. To me, that's clear. Uh, I, firstly, as a runner, you know, uh, 
Wilson's a little jitterbug. He makes first guy miss. That's nice. He's going to escort his way out of bounds. Lance is, is big and is explosive. This is like a Colin Kaepernick sort of a runner. People bring up like watching Cam in the SEC was like watching Lance at the FCS. So he's not at Cam's level, but just the way he's making people look like children uh, with, with the physicality, with the size, with the explosiveness. Uh, so as a runner, he brings you so much more. Uh, of the four quarterbacks we've talked about, and then certainly of Mac, Lance is the one who's most dual threat. And I, I would say has to be put in offense that that utilizes his running ability as part of structure. He's too good at it not to. Uh, the arm talent for me with Lance is better. Uh, Wilson's release is very fast and it looks great aesthetically and he gets good velocity from it. Lance's release isn't and he gets good velocity from it. As Lance's mechanics get better, which we have to remember how few reps this guy has. He had never had private quarterback coaching until this offseason. So we've never seen him in a live game setting with private quarterback coaching. Uh, that release is going to get better. And the velocity he might be able to access is going to be bananas. Uh, so deep down the field, I love watching Lance throw deep. Uh, Justin Fields throws 60-yard ball. It's a Russell Wilson moonshot. The thing's in, in the rafters. Lance throws it, it barely gets 10 feet off the ground. It's unbelievable how, how much he can drive those deep balls. Uh, that's bananas ability. Uh, you watch him dominate at the FCS level, which is what you want of early drafted FCS players. No interceptions, was risk averse despite being a freshman, setting protections despite being a freshman, doing very high level things. Uh, had the ability to stay in the pocket, take a hit, get through his progressions, or tuck and run, be a scramble player. So, so, so much to like. But then... He's a one-year player at the FCS level. And, and for as much as I might like him, uh, you have to, and this goes back to like getting a number grade versus like setting your board and everything. To what degree of confidence can I say all of this that I believe I see on Lance's film will translate to the NFL? Not as high as I'd like. <laughs> I mean, like Lawrence at 2018 Clemson that freshman year was unbelievable. And then we saw him sophomore slump. Lance didn't even get an opportunity to sophomore slump. He didn't even get an opportunity to go through some growing pains. Uh, I don't know if you sit him or start him in the league. I generally fall on the side of like, it's very case by case as, as far as what you should do. Um, but he's going to need time. Every player goes through lulls and swells. Development is not linear. Uh, and so there's, he's since he's so much further back on the path than Wilson and Lawrence and fields, there's so many different ways his, path can go he's got such a wider spray uh, and so it's just to what degree of confidence can i say he's going to be this guy i envision not strongly enough right now to put him over wilson who i think is a much more measurable qu uh, quantity who has a, a, a high ceiling but i also think has a decently high floor uh i hope that lance makes me look like an idiot oh i hope he goes to atlanta and they sit him and he learns middle of the field throws in the pocket and then he's great uh rooting for him love watching him it's just that it's very it's already hard to draft players one year fcs starters is just a nightmare to project and you have to acknowledge that as an evaluator it's a, it's a, it's a tough eval but boy he's fun yeah yeah I, mean, I think that's obviously the the big red flag is the fact you only have the one season and it's not like a high volume season either you know mm -hmm. it's for maybe if you're looking back at the nfl 25 years ago that wouldn't be bad to say yeah, some guy had 350 dropbacks but right now that's about the lowest that you could you could ever see in a season. Uh, he was another guy where under pressure, he wasn't throwing it a lot, but he was just running a ton. He was up more mm -hmm. like 25% 
um, scrambling. And in some ways, I didn't mind his scrambling as much because at least when I was watching him, he was pretty decisive sometimes when he would just go and, and scramble, mm-hmm. which, which, can be, which can be good. Um, yeah, it's just really that missing year. And I think that would, that would lower him for me, even though I know you could say that Zach Wilson only had one good year. But I like to see the fact that he had, like, you know, starting reps for at least, you know, 200 dropbacks for a couple of seasons before that going into us. So I think that's why it goes through there. It's just with the release. And I don't want to get too much into, into this sort of question. But I remember when I first started watching him, you know, I wondered whether he had a little bit more of a windup than some of these these other guys. And then I was wondering, does that make me less confident maybe in how far how fast he can throw the ball? But we've seen other guys like Rodgers kind of re- rearrange mm-hmm. and, and still still have that velocity. So, I mean, how, how do you think about that? Right. So the mechanic quarterback mechanics is a total just mosh pit quicksand. It's very dangerous. Yeah. What I always say is it, here's what matters. One, are you delivering the ball at an accurate, consistent place? Do you choose where the ball goes and it goes there? Two, is this uh, repeatable without attrition, right? So the other, the big thing that doesn't get talked about with quarterback mechanics is it can't hurt your shoulder if you're doing it 100 bajillion times over 10 years. Uh, and so we, you, that's why we care about things like elbow position and wrist positions because you have to come through with these neutral spots, uh, you know, which it looks different on everybody's body because otherwise you're going to start to invite throwing arm injuries and that's going to limit your career thirdly and finally uh down below on the list is release speed and 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 how quick is that process and are you dropping the ball or you know da, 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 that j path that everything from i'm deciding to throw to i'm actually starting to bring my arm forward people like talking about it because it's very easy to see it does not have ramifications as long as you're getting that ball through with velocity you're fine and for every quarterback the speed of that release process and the velocity they throw with will define how much of an anticipation thrower they have to be. You see Lance throw with anticipation and you see Lance throw late, but jam the ball into a tight window because he can throw it with, with, with heat. He can throw it with mustard. Uh, so the over the top dropping the ball, a little hitch in the release really doesn't bother me so long as he's consistently accurate. You've seen him changes his motion a little bit it's gotten more abbreviated you see that in his in his pro days you see that in in the work that he's done he was a decently fine accurate quarterback at the college level you'd like to see him be more accurate so long as that mechanical change hasn't impacted his accuracy negatively i think it'll be good for him but again the number one thing we care about in mechanics is are you choosing where the ball goes and does it go there when you choose uh and so to me Lance is not the prettiest thrower of the ball, uh, but he, A, he's doing work on it, which is good. Uh, the opportunity for growth there. B, I don't see him late. I don't see uh, zone defenders see his process and say, oh, he's about to throw it and then they can get there in time. Uh, and so I'm not super concerned about the aesthetic of it. As long as you're getting me to, getting the ball to the spot and it's not screwing up your shoulder, you can look however you want. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember it was interesting. Like, Darnold was kind of this guy who had a wind-up, but his problem was like even post-wind-up, it wasn't really – didn't, didn't really didn't, probably didn't have enough mustard on it uh right at that and point. and we're talking all upper body here darnold yeah. lower body mechanics is a lot more serious and that's where donald was a total nightmare because uh, donald is just feet you know uh, duck footed just pointing different directions and now you're not putting the ball in a consistent spot and that's that's independent of any adam gase impact that's stuck with him for his entire uh, nfl career all right, so let, let's talk Mac Jones then. I'm, I'm going to presume you have him next, unless you have some fire like uh, Kellen Mond no, or I something do not. like that. And uh, I mean, I'll say from 
an analytical standpoint and some modeling I've done, I mean, Mac Jones would be like the worst guy on this mm-hmm. list. Uh, basically, one year sort of guy. I mean, I know he had some some exposure the year before, despite the great stats. You know, no no rushing ability, which is which is a big uh, a model in there. And then also, I I put more of like a teammate score into it, and his is just like insanely off the charts with two wide receivers who are going to go in the in the top ten. Uh, what, what, from a film standpoint, what separates him from that second tier that you have? Yeah, so Mac does all of the little things very well. And it's why a lot of ex-NFLers love him because that's the little things. And for, (laughs) you know, guys who've been in the league, they know how much the little things matter. Uh, Mac is not quick. And so Mac knows that if he's going to survive a quick pressure, his footwork's got to be perfect. There's a great play against Notre Dame on like their second drive where Notre Dame gets a free rusher right up the gut. And Mac transitions from I'm in my drop back footwork to I'm turning my back to the defense. I'm bailing out of the back of the pocket. I'm going into a rollout. It looks exactly like a drill on Tuesday. And Mac has done that drill 10,000 times. He was the third quarterback behind Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavailoa. And there's a reason he was the third quarterback because he's not as physically gifted. Uh, But he's worked that rep so because he knows if I'm going to get out of that pocket when that pressure comes, it's going to be because my feet are perfect. And they were perfect. And he picked up a first down, a little dump off to a tight end. It's exactly what you want from a Kirk Cousins sort of guy, right? That is cool. Uh, He was behind two NFL quarterbacks for a reason because he's the least talented of the group. Uh, people say that he's this elite field processor and that he throws with elite anticipation. I, I don't agree. I think the windows were much bigger than we're used to seeing in Alabama. Uh, and I think that the offense was great at creating defined reads down the field. Usually we talk about defined reads are very shallow. These are defined reads down the field to the point where I think he's good processor. He throws with good anticipation, but I don't know how you can say with your chest that he's elite in these because it was so effortless against so many of their opponents. Uh, going back to being able to speak with confidence about Trey Lance, uh, you know, Mac was called like a football genius in the Monday morning quarterback the other day. Uh, if you've sat down with him on the board and you've put him on, 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 the, on film on TV and you've given him the playbook and you feel confident saying that great from what I have, which is just the film and my understanding of it. I can't say that, you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's too much for me. That's, that's too far. Uh, and so well, I mean, I think so there's many- like a disconnect. That, that was the thing that got me about that quote. It's like being able to re- recall board work, right. all this stuff. Exactly. I mean, like he, he remembered the first play in our playbook. That doesn't mean he's a football genius. <laughs> yeah, like, right. yeah, I think we're, I think we're underestimating how much of the playing the quarterback position is just like instinctual. You know, I mean, maybe someday we can like get the guy in the virtual reality machine. And I think that would probably give you a little bit more than putting right. him on the board. I mean, you know, Brett Favre didn't know what nickel defense was when, when he was in the NFL and started to dominate guys. So yeah, anyway, that, that didn't really make sense because I don't know if that, that is not like a twitchy mind to me. That is like being able right. to recall. Something. And a twitchy yeah. mind is a great way of putting it because for like, for my charting, whenever Mac gets put outside of clean context, so like he's throwing into a tight window, he's throwing under pressure, he's throwing on the move. He's beyond his first read. It's not good. Uh, it didn't happen very often. So it's small sample, but it's, 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 it's very concerning for his accuracy and for his ball placement. I experience him as a very, 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 very good quarterback Sunday to Friday and pre-snap in terms of his mental process, right? And so he's always executing. And it's like we've talked about with Kyle Shanahan. He's always doing uh, the, the stuff that you want your quarterback who's just a manifestation of the offensive coordinator to do. And then once we, we need more from him, this is what everybody has said, uh, that's where he falls below the first year for me. He's still stronger than that second tier uh, because, like I say, he does the little things very well. He is an accurate quarterback. He does have anticipation. So for his mold, he can start and I think be successful. It's just the ceiling here is not comparable to the first four guys. 
So if you were uh, like uh, the Panthers or the Broncos or someone like that, and the other guys were gone, would you would do you think he's consider you would you consider taking him? Oh man, not the not the Panthers. Uh, I got Teddy. I got Sam. I already. I don't. Lo- I don't love either one of those options. But I've made those decisions. I'm gonna trade back. I'm gonna wait for a year. Denver's interesting. That offensive line's gotten better under Munchak. Uh, invested a lot in a wide receiver. Vic Fan just got that defense in a good spot. Uh, if I if I liked my coordinator better, I'm not a big Pat Shermer guy, uh, and I felt confident that I could keep the verticality of the offense that Drew Locke has had, but also make things easier pre-snap instead of just being like, we're going to throw a nine ball to Tim Patrick, Cortland Sun. Hope this works. Uh, yes. I think if, if Mac ends up in a not San Francisco spot, Denver is the spot to me that looks like it a little bit, but I probably am just trying to trade back and get to next year's class, uh, which, you know, sometimes NFL general managers and, and head coaches don't have that luxury. Um, but in this vacuum, I'm giving it to myself. Uh, whereas I just want to bring in a guy who's a little bit more talented. Okay. Okay. Real, real fast. I know you got a hard out in a few minutes here. Is there who who's next? Is there anyone worth like mm-hmm. a late first round, second round to sort of pick? Absolutely not. Uh, this, every team who, and like, you know, I, I don't, I, you, you never want to be too critical. Um, but every team who misses the big five and then starts scrambling for Davis Mills out of Stanford, Kellen Mond out of Texas A&M, Kyle Trask out of Florida, they're pulling the wool over their eyes. Uh, it's a very, very thin quarterback class in parks. It's such a good quarterback class at the top. Uh, I would not want a piece of the day two quarterback class at all. Uh, very, very long bets. In my opinion, I'd much rather I'll throw a day three dart on Jamie Newman at a wake forest, Felipe Franks at Arkansas. Let's get a guy with a cannon in here and see if we can do something with him. Um, but to me, not interested in the developmental part of this class at all. Weak in that area, very strong at the top week afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll say that I think Mond is interesting in the athleticism and I don't know. I think it's like a better prospect in some ways when, when I look at things than, than Jordan Love, than Drew Locke, than some of these other guys who had gone out there just from a numbers standpoint, uh, but not as good as Jalen Hurts, not as good as even Dak Prescott, who went a long time. But he has like a history of mediocre, longer performance, which some of those guys could be interesting. All right. I think anyway, can hang around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Well, he's an interesting guy. He could be a spot starter in some places if he gets to the, the right situation. Anyway, Ben, I know you got you to go here. I got to let you go. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Everyone follow him on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. I know he's taking the time out here. It's draft season. Hopefully this has been very helpful. Uh, rate and review the pod if you can. Otherwise, I'll be talking to everyone next week. Thanks. Thanks.